Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking 66 minutes of close-ups of Jennifer Lawrence's face. We're talking The Giving Tree. And we're talking Michelle fucking Pfeiffer. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we are talking God is a Prick, the movie. <laughs> uh, there's no God, it's just capital H him. Oh my god, come on. <laughs> it's, it's so, everyone, we are talking Darren Aronofsky's mother, exclamation point. Uh, Thank you. Mm-hmm. And wow, um, welcome to uh, <laughs> this movie that I am really excited to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reflecting back on the last couple of weeks. We've had some amazing conversations, talked about great films, but they've also been slow and moody and dreadful and ominous. And this was like hitting an accelerator button into sheer absolute chaos. Yes, this is my second time watching this because I did see it in theaters, but um, I don't even want to say it was better for me. I felt the same, but... Mm-hmm. I definitely knew what to expect going into this movie the first time. So I very much knew it was a metaphor, it was a lot of biblical allegory, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So while the movie made me angry in the sense that I'm like, oh my god, like, what it was trying to make me angry about, like, made me angry. Okay. I imagine there were a lot of people in theaters who didn't know what to expect going in and were just angry that this didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I did rewatch the trailer to get a sense of how it was being advertised, and we can talk about it more when we get into this, and we maybe introduce a couple of special guests. But uh, yeah, it, it's tricky because in a way, I think they marketed it the only way they possibly could have, but also that marketing does not tell you what this movie is. Oh, not at all. And thank you for cueing me, because we actually do have two guests waiting in the wings to help us um, pick apart this movie, which I hope we have enough time, because I feel like you could really make a podcast on its own about this film but mm-hmm. we'll the see. mother podcast the mother <laughs> daddy no um all right everyone <laughs> so we do have two guests and they are the hosts of ghouls next door a media literacy podcast from a horror lens that explores the unique and raw way society and culture influences film and media you may also find an episode where joe and i guess discussing the much well underseen the underseen film <laughs> She dies tomorrow, and so that'll kind of play well into this theme. But uh, please Mm -hmm. welcome Gabe and Kat. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Mother. (laughs) Exclamation point. Mother of all podcasts. Welcome to the show, (laughs) y'all. Thank you, thank you. So when I reached out to the pair of you... I was looking for an opportunity to bring you on and I thought, okay, well, Mother definitely has biblical allegories, but it's also very much in keeping with like the environment and eco horror. And I know that right now the pair of you are doing a series on that. So I thought it was just this really great fit. I didn't realize this was going to be the first time you both watched this movie. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I, I almost feel bad because we come onto your show and we pick something. It, it does fall in the genre umbrella, right? But like it was definitely a heady, more art house film. Mm-hmm. And then we bring you onto our show <laughs> and give With you this. this. <laughs> <laughs> I. I feel like this is the best way to experience it, though. <laughs> like, okay, okay. Because we are covering eco-horror, and it's a really depressing time. Uh, right. So it really mm. fit, because we're already in that mindset. And so <laughs> we were like, should we also just, like, dissect it in the way we do? And I was like, no. I think <laughs> I think the way that it's going to be approached in this is significant enough. that <laughs> We don't need to do it in our Again. way. Yeah. Okay, so let's get this out of the way. So both of you can take turns. What were your thoughts or impressions of this film? after, As soon as the credits roll, what were your immediate thoughts? Oh, <laughs> um, okay. First, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, like, my partner at the time, like, had just come home. We, he had also, like, seen just the tail end of it and was, like, shook for the next four hours afterwards yeah. um because he walked in during the chaos yeah um, mm-hmm. and then i was sitting there like what i don't know enough about biblical things to know <laughs> like i was not raised super religious so i was like i did not pick up that that was happening until like way too late mm-hmm. and then i was like oh my god what yeah but i knew it was going to be a trip because i remember like people being mad about it yeah and yeah. like saying like what is this ridiculous film so i i did know it was going to be like wild i had that expectation mm-hmm. going in mm-hmm. and gabe <laughs> yeah so i also knew very little like and i didn't look it up i didn't want to <laughs> i knew that people had like split review like some people like loved it which are usually people i, I don't get along with um <laughs> <laughs> and then there's people <laughs> who like hate it. Um and I t- I I had some words at the end of the film. For yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cuz we like to we watch it together and we'll like text each other and so it was a lot of like what? Why? But for me, I was like I had the idea with Mother Mother Earth. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's going to be like you know, she's Mother Earth. And then there's just mm-hmm. a point in the film where I was like, oh, my God, this is the Bible. And I mm-hmm. <laughs> I, t- I was like, Kat, this equals this and this equals that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, like, when I was much younger, I was very religious. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, a sucker for, re- like, religious allegory in high school. If you mm-hmm. handed me a book, like, East of Eden was one of my favorite books. Oh. I was like... I love, you know, like that's one of those books though where it's it's a tome. It is a very large oh, book, so yes. when you get it it's in massive. high school, you're like, oh fuck this! Like, why do I gotta read this shit? <laughs> yeah. But it's actually like that. That is a book that I'm like, I remember the most. Like that and Rebecca mm-hmm. are the two books where I'm like, oh, those are two books I didn't want to read in high school that I just walked out fucking loving. So yes, right with you on that. <laughs> yes, and as chonky as it is, I read it twice <laughs> in high school. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I was chunky like, give book, myself. I love it. <laughs> it was- it really is and i was like wow this is like like this is what i want to do um (laughs) to the point where like all the films that i made in high school were under east eden productions oh yeah super ridiculous so i was like as soon as i caught it like the cain and abel situation i was like oh Mm -hmm. my god i'm texting my mom i'm gonna tell her to watch this movie and ruin her life it's gonna be great Actually, and it's really interesting because of the, uh, sorry, I'm not going to go into an East of Eden like harangue here, but the way that (laughs) that book portrays the Eve character and Mm -hmm. how this movie portrays the Eve character are very Mm -hmm. similar because both Eves are very cunty. Yes. (laughs) I think that's a very interesting way to portray Eve. (laughs) 
And it's like, huh, who keeps writing all these eaves? Gosh, it's a lot of men, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I made a joke before we started recording that it's this is basically a movie that doesn't like women very much. And or it's like, did this movie make you mad or are you a man? <laughs> and, and I say that jokingly because obviously a huge part of the film's commentary is just how put upon Jennifer Lawrence's character is. Like, she takes a beating in multiple ways in this movie. Mm. And it's very evident what point Aronofsky is trying to get across. And yet it doesn't make it easier to watch Jennifer Lawrence get this shit kicked out of her and get called like a litany of slurs and other things. Like, oh boy. (laughs) But I I will say, for me personally, like, the easy reading for this film, and the obvious one, is that biblical allegory. You, there's also, you know, mm-hmm. notes of conservationism. You know, we have Mother Earth. But you can read further into it. I do like that this is basically a literal interpretation of certain biblical stories. It made it easier for me to watch. But I can only imagine some people going into this in theaters. You know, like, like 97-year-old, like, Grandma Maven. Uh, and she's like, <laughs> I'm going to see that new Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Lawrence movie. Yay. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> but, I can, but, but to the point where, because characters are acting not, like, real, well, sometimes not real people in this movie, right? Yeah. And they, they'll just change the way they behave at the drop of a hat. I can only imagine watching this, taking it at face value, and not seeing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those metaphors and the allegory come in because I imagine that would make for a very frustrating viewing experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're going to get to the cinema score and <laughs> it's reflected. Well, okay. So why, why don't we start heading there anyway? Because the movie kind of started after Aronofsky had directed 2014's Noah. And I confess, I actually have not seen that movie Despite the fact that Aronofsky was directing it, which I'm like, cool, that's great. I love Aronofsky. It's like, oh, it's Noah's Ark. I don't Mm -hmm. need to see that again because I've seen a lot of TV movie versions of that story. Steve Carell, he was Noah once. I mean, if if he can, then I've seen them all, you know? There was definitely um, a a mini, you know, like ABC and CBS, they always do like really all-star TV versions of whatever. Well, there was definitely one of Noah's Ark, and I think it was John Voight playing Noah, but there's that that story. I believe it. I'm going to get names wrong here, but I think it's some town is getting destroyed by fire, and... Mm -hmm. Lot and his wife run away, and God has told them, don't look at the carnage. And the the wife does turn away, and then she turns into a pillar of salt. Mm-hmm. This happens in this miniseries, and it's Carol Kane. <laughs> and she, because her whole thing is she, she like, wants to, she hates the town so much that she wants to watch it burn. So when oh, she turns no. around, like, one of these comets, like, flies at her and turns her into a pillar of salt. <laughs> I only say this because that image has stuck with me for so long, ever since I was a child, and it terrified me, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to go see Darren Aronofsky's Noah. <laughs> i can say that i have seen it it is fine it's a little bit (laughs) lengthy that was my big thing i was just like all right we all know where this is going wrap it up wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) just flood the earth already come on (laughs) i mean i'm not being entirely fair because it is kind of a revisionist take on the familiar tale but it's it's still pretty familiar i mean but you are forgetting biblical epic epic Epic, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bring it like bring on the flood is 
pretty much what I was screaming at the screen the entire time I was watching Mother. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just flood them already. Wash these <laughs> like, fuckers away. Them. Oh, my God. Most of our notes to each other are in all caps. Uh, I, I, went, I went to, like, Fair. scroll to see, like, what we said to each other. And, like, most of it is just us yelling. Well, mm-hmm. unlike every character name in this movie, which is mm-hmm. lowercase, except for him. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> anyway, so after after Aronofsky does Noah, he starts to work on a children's film, which to my knowledge has not seen the light of day. During that process, he came up with a new idea, which would become Mother. And again, I'm just kind of like, well, he already did a biblical film. Why is he going into another one? Maybe he was just in that headspace. I don't know. Well, it's odd, too, because he's not a particularly religious man. Like, it would make sense if he was devoutly Mm -hmm. religious but i think he's actually just interested in the stories themselves and the power that they have like they're kind of classic right Mm -hmm. yes but i also wonder if it's kind of like he he really wants to get out this like hey treat the planet okay and he thought maybe a good way to do that was to put it in a religious trojan horse Mm -hmm. i could see it i don't know so he ended up writing the screenplay for Mother in five days, much faster than his usual pace, or I'm going to say any pace for screenwriting. <laughs> yeah, that's like scream fast. Yes. The film uses a dream logic narrative to which he is replied, like, if you try to unscrew it, it kind of falls apart. It's a psychological freakout. Do not over explain it. To which I say, don't tell me what to do. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I'm also like, once you know to look for it, it's really right all there, right? Once I got it, I got it. Like, once it clicked, everything else clicked. And so Mm -hmm. then it influenced the way that I watched it. And so, Mm. like I said, I texted my mom to watch it. And part of me, like, didn't want, like, doesn't want to tell her just to see what she does. But then I feel like she'll get mad at me. (laughs) So I was like, should I tell her? Because then she'll not feel as lost. So I was just like, I wonder what that experience is and how utterly confusing it is to not know any of those stories mm-hmm. yeah i mean i didn't know it so i was just like gabe you were telling me like that's kane and i was like cool okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it still works even if you don't know these figures because there's enough in there like it, it's not entirely biblical there is no. an environmental reading like when i mm-hmm. saw this film and i reviewed it i actually didn't talk about the biblical stuff i was like yeah i'm pretty sure there's biblical stuff in here i don't know that so i just did it from an environmental mother earth reading and it still works like it's still fine in that regard mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, because at this point, because it's pretty clear that like that he is a version of God, like Father Almighty, whatever the hell. But Mother seems to take on the role simultaneously of Mother Earth and the Virgin Mary. So I think that's where, yeah, both of those readings can come into play, and yeah. whether you whether you pick a side or not, or just say no, it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they start shooting the film. Um, it t- shooting takes place between June and August of 2016. So about two and a half months. Before they started shooting, the cast had rehearsed for three months in a warehouse, during which time Aronofsky was able to get a sense of movement and camera movement to learn from that. So I feel like this was really the blocking. And like, I'm just imagining a warehouse with all these extras in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in a way, it's almost like a stage play, right? 
mm-hmm. and you just happen to have Aronofsky with a camera in there. It's worth noting that there's only three types of shots in this movie, and they're all handheld. So we get close-ups of Mother's face, we get over-the-shoulder shots from directly behind her or her POV. So I think the three months of blocking and framing is really important for that because he's basically just following Jennifer Lawrence around, and everybody has to move around those three types of shots. Well... Even with Kristen Wiig, right, who has like maybe five minutes of screen time in this movie, but I'm like, her scenes are kind of spaced apart. So I'm like, oh my God, but even they cast her last minute and they brought her in. I'm like, I would just love to know her schedule and how they got all these shots in of all this pandemonium and like how they Mm -hmm. edited this together. Because there is just so much happening in the last like 30 to 40 minutes of this film that it's just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But something that should be noted about this film, and y'all probably did notice, there is not really a score to this movie, which I do think helps add to the unsettlingness of it. Mm-hmm. But it's honestly, honestly I forgot until I started watching it. So this was the first of Aronofsky's film without the involvement of composer Clint Mansell, who has done most of, if not all of Aronofsky's films. Um, you may know that you know iconic score from Requiem for a Dream with the violins. Mm-hmm. That's oh, Mansell. Yeah. It initially did have a score composed by the late Johan Johansson, um, which I hope I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that right. But um, he did the scores for Mandy and a lot of the Denis Villeneuve films like Prisoner, Sicario, and Arrival. Oh, yeah, he's great. Well, he spent a year writing a score for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it? He had a 90-minute score synced up to a rough cut of the film, and while he was watching it with Aronofsky, they agreed not to use it because they realized the film was better with no music at all. Mm-hmm. They tried to use the score in a few moments, or just use minimal score that focused on sound design. They went with the latter option, which is just, we're not going to use the score, but we're going to use pieces of your score to enhance Foley effects, um, maybe the sound of a baby's neck crunching. I don't know. Oh, I would be so mad. Yeah, Johan like, is a saint. You better pay me, but like extra because you wasted my time. <laughs> yeah, as a sound designer, that like hurts. Um, <laughs> like oh. I just think of all the time I spend, and anytime there's like minor things, we're just like this one doesn't fit. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like rage quit. <laughs> yeah. My I get heart. So angry. So, okay, so the film was originally scheduled to be released on October 13th, 2017, you know, just in time for Halloween to really scare all the kitties. And sure. (laughs) The studio moved it up a month, so it actually comes out September 15th. Joe, do you know why they moved it up? I don't know why they moved it up. I was at the Toronto International Film Festival premiere, which I think happened shortly after its world premiere in Venice. And it was a big surprise because everybody kind of thought, okay, we're going to write this review and then we'll get to sit on it for like a month and then republish it. And instead, I think I saw the film and had to get it up because it was playing in theaters that Friday. Like all of a sudden it wasn't very special. <laughs> well, and it did have its world premiere at the Venice International Film Festival, where it received um, a lot of boos and applause when it uh, when it screened. And I will say, I, I've been to film festivals, right? I've never been to one where they boo a movie, and I always find those stories to be very weird. But like, I I've never had a weird festival experience, you know, like uh, like a screening like that. I mean, I would expect it out of cons maybe where you ritualistically get like 15 minutes standing ovations and or booze or walkouts but trace i feel like you're cueing me because i do have a story that i would love Mm -hmm. to share about (laughs) my screening from tiff 
So I went to a press screening, which means that you don't have general audience members there. It's just uh, members of the industry or working press. So generally, the atmosphere is a little bit different. People are a little more reserved. Mm -hmm. And in this case, there was a slightly younger member of either the press or of the industry. You never really know. And this person clearly was not interested in the film, which I don't really (laughs) understand how that happens with a film like Mother. But this gentleman was on his phone for the better part of the back half of the movie, to the point where an older male film critic behind him in my row started to kick his seat and tell him to turn off his motherfucking phone. And this younger critic got so mad at him for kicking his seat that he stood up and threw his water all over the older (laughs) press guy. And then they started to look like they were going to get into a fight. The older press critic said, I'm going to find you after the screening. And the (laughs) younger gentleman left with about like 10 minutes left in this movie and was never seen again. Didn't want to get found. And I was just like, wow. Okay. But also that happened in Mother? Like this movie can't keep you enthralled? Really? But... At a press and industry screening, no less. Mm-hmm. Not even like a... Because sometimes they'll do that where they bring in members of the public and it's like, cool, here's two rows to press. Everyone else is like getting their free screening, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you don't care about the movie because you got it for free or you came because you just want to see something on the big screen. Yeah. Like, it's different when it's press and industry. You expect a little bit more decorum and that was not the case here. And it was <laughs> honestly pretty shocking. It was like the film like spilled out. Yeah. Yes. So it was like here's humanity for you like this is what you look <laughs> like in action yes clearly this younger gentleman did not take any of the film's messaging to heart because he was a huge fucking prick well you know what though i i can i can see being bored by the first half of this movie i mean i was not but i could understand someone watching this and being like well is anything gonna happen why are these people acting so weird you know yeah I spent the entirety of my first watch just being overwhelmed, trying to understand what the hell was going on. Because as you said, Trace, there's a lot of characters here that don't seem to act like normal human beings. And that's usually a cue to audience members. Hey, there's something else going on here. But I mean, even if you understand the religious allegories, even if you're picking up on the environmental themes, it's still very wait, where is this movie going? And then we pause for an almost reprieve and then it builds back up. And oh, I remember feeling so exhausted after watching Mm -hmm. this movie the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very anxiety inducing. Oh God, yeah. Because especially like, I felt myself experiencing a lot of that where I was just like, what would I do? Like, how does (laughs) this make, like, what would I feel? Like, is this my house? Like, Mm -hmm. And just feeling really, like, connected to the character of Mother and just, like, I felt like they were intruding on my life. Yes. And that definitely is because of the cinematography, feeling very voyeuristic and Mm -hmm. helping you just blend right into the the film in this situation. And it's just, like, anyone who, like, experiences complete strangers just coming in and you're all alone and the person that you care about the most is in in your corner Mm -hmm. is super, like... It just really, I don't even know what the words are, but I was just (laughs) so, (laughs) I was like, I want to murder. 
Like, I want to murder him. And I feel like I want to scream for her. And so the whole time it felt like that, like me shouting to Kat via text (laughs) and being like, throw this woman's wet clothes on the ground. (laughs) It's like, burn the whole house down. But that, but that like, cuz you you say oh you're so angry for her were there ever times too where you were frustrated with the character of mother herself The anger wasn't I'd say wasn't exactly to her it was really that she was so affected by what she felt like she needed to be mm-hmm. and so she was holding herself back and it and at those moments where she does like have her little spiteful things that she does like pushing the cigarettes like it was like mm-hmm. a little win for her but that's why I knew like in there she was somebody else. And so she had to put on this persona that is mother. And so, and I was never angry at her. I was just really sad for her in that way too, of like, yeah. I'm so sorry that you live in this world where you think you have to be like that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was never angry at her. I was more so just like the audacity of everybody else. Or I was just mm. like, I, if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would have freaked out. I think I would have just been like so dumbfounded by like, the rudeness that was taking place yes. that like my reaction would probably be similar to hers. And then I'm just like, what is happening? What do you, what do you mean? These people are staying here. We don't know them. But that is what I like again, again about putting the, this conservationist allegory into this little microcosm of this little house, because the, the point, or at least one of the points of this film is like, if, if you're sitting there like, yeah, get the fuck out of her house, treat her better, treat her right. Mm. Then it's like, well, why are you saying that about the planet you're living mm-hmm. on? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That was definitely us the entire time. Like every time that there was too many people in there, it was like, mm-hmm. here's the exhibit A. But I just remember specifically like the one part of like them painting. And they're like, <laughs> yes. it does so much. The house does so much for us. And we have to give back. It's like, that's not even what it wants. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> it's like, it would benefit her for you to be gone. Like humanity needs to, where's the flood? Like it was the entire time. I was like, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, audiences felt similarly. They were a little um, uh, angry at the movie itself. Maybe not some of the characters in this film. So when it was released on September 15th, 2017, uh, it was released alongside American Assassin uh, and was projected to gross about 12 to $14 million opening weekend. Did not meet either one of those <laughs> expectations. It opened to just seven and a half million, finishing yeah. third at the box office and making it the worst debut for a film in which Jennifer Lawrence had top billing. Deadline attributed the film's underperformance to its controversial narrative, which makes sense, mm-hmm. misleading advertisements, which does yeah. make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you go back and watch the trailer, it definitely makes it look like Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are threatening figures that are. Mm-hmm sneaking their way into this house so even when you recognize what some of the scenes in the trailer are from you know the back half of the film when the whole house has been invaded by strangers it doesn't really come across that way so it looks more like a home invasion almost slasher kind of film yeah it's like the no man's sky of movies well that's the thing like what genre i mean we're doing this on a horror podcast obviously but what genre would you classify this under um, if you watch the end of that film, it is 100% horror. I, right? There's oh, yeah. no part of that that is not horrific. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, everyone, content warning for infanticide and cannibalism. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as soon as she said she was pregnant, I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Especially when you're like, oh, Bible. Oh, shit. 
communion. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, eat of his body, cat. Eat of his body. And Cat and I are just like, we don't get it. What's what's about to happen? <laughs> I cackled when she woke up and said, I'm pregnant. I was like, what? Oh shit. It was the one time. What do you mean? But no, but 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 that's the thing, right? I mean, there are so many bizarre things. Even even Michelle Pfeiffer, who it's like she's super, super nice and approachable one scene, and literally like 30 seconds later, she's just a horrible mm-hmm. bitch. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the fi- I'm sorry the final thing that they attributed the poor box office to was also the F cinema score. Um, mm-hmm. As of April 2020, it is one of only 22 films to receive such a rating. And Joe, mm-hmm. this is actually the fourth film with an F cinema score that we've covered on this podcast. Yeah, we love quote unquote trash. <laughs> the other three, by the way, would be um, on the main feed. I know who killed me, and the remake of The Wicker Man, and over on the Patreon feed, the 2020 The Grudge. I've only seen one of those films you've listed. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you've only wait, 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 which one have you seen? The Grudge. I have oh, only okay. seen one as well, but it wasn't that one. It's The Wicker Man, wasn't it? It was The Wicker Man, yeah. Ooh, y'all need to go watch I Know Who Killed Me right now. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lindsay Lohan. Oh, I saw previews for that. <laughs> I love that. Um, in its second weekend, the film dropped 56% to 3.3 million, finishing sixth at the box office. So it goes on to gross and, oh boy, mm-hmm. $17.8 million in the US and Canada and 26.7 overseas for a worldwide gross of $44.5 million against a budget of $30 million. So, Joe, yeah. I'm going to say this falls in the underseen of our underseen and our underrated theme, right? Yeah, I'll be interested to see how listeners respond to this one, because I felt like I knew so many people who Mm -hmm. were at least looking forward to it, whether or not they followed through and ended up seeing it in theaters or when it came out on video or BOD or whatever. Like, I agree with you. I do think it's underseen, but it's always surprised me. Like you and I, even when we were looking at the options, we thought, well, maybe let's schedule Mother because that's probably an easy win as a better known film. Yeah. And yet, maybe we've overestimated this. And, and Gabe and Kat, y'all had obviously heard of this movie and you knew of it, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because th- that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people know because they make it. But with this cast, like, and the, the, when the marketing was coming out, but I just feel like, yeah, the word of mouth was so bad that I feel like not a lot of, I don't want to say regular folk because that sounds really <laughs> awful. Non-genre folk. Or, or people that aren't really like into the film industry, I guess, like didn't go see it because people were like, well, that was really weird. <laughs> right. That was fucking terrible. Don't go to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aunt Jen said it didn't meet her expectations. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? 97 year old grandma Maven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just say Mabel. I've been watching a lot of Only Murders in the Building, so forgive me. <laughs> With critics, it did fare better. So it's got a 68% of Rotten Tomatoes, but weirdly enough, an average score of 7 out of 10. So that's Hmm. one of the fewer times that I've seen it, like, the average score be higher than the actual aggregate score. Right. But on Letterboxd, we've also got an average score of 7 out of 10 and a Metacritic of 75 out of 100. But to show that the Razzies are complete and utter nonsense, this movie did Hmm. get three Razzie Awards. I'm sorry, nominations. Didn't it didn't win? Um, worst director for Aronofsky, worst supporting actor for Javier Bardem, and worst actress for Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> that is just flat out wrong. That is incorrect. Yeah, she acted so hard. Like yeah, she, didn't she injured dislocate herself. her rib or something. Yeah. <laughs> like acting. 
so hard she injured herself. Yeah, the acting for her was perfectly fine. Javier was like barely there. I was disappointed by that. So I would I would say that. What no, what this is is it is them seeing the F cinema score and being like, oh cool, audiences will like like people know that this movie is terrible even if they haven't seen it, so let's nominate it to raise our publicity. Like that is one hundred percent what that move was from the Razzies. Because it's Jennifer Lawrence, so even if it's not a bad movie, if it gets remotely negative reviews, they can say, Oh, well, this is an opportunity to have an A list star nominated for our award. Yeah. People love to hate J-Law. Which, which didn't used to be the case. I don't know if y'all remember this, but like whenever J-Law was like coming in, it was everyone hated Anne Hathaway. And yes. And then she mm-hmm. inherited it. Yes. And, but the, but everyone was, oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence is so much more personable and realistic than Anne. Mm-hmm. Well, fucking yeah. Three or four years later, bam, everyone hates Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw like a some clip or whatever from her saying when she came back for uh, Don't Look Up mm-hmm. that she like just felt like everyone was over her. Yep. And I was like, man, that feels, <laughs> I was like, I felt so connected to her. Like mm-hmm. there are just times where I'm just like, I also have a very big, loud personality where I can see how people are annoyed by her because that's what I'm afraid of from people all the time. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I feel that for you. <laughs> I mean, I do too, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I never, not to brag, but like, I never went on that hate train. I also never hated Anne Hathaway. Like, whenever people were hating yeah. on Hathaway, I was like, y'all, why? She's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, we just get it in our minds that we don't like certain actresses, especially when we have seen them climb the popularity charts or or mm-hmm. find success right it's the same thing that we do with the best actress oscar curse where we love to yep. watch women win the best oscar and then absolutely tear them down when they make a bad movie after that oh best actress why is she in catwoman halle berry and you're just like because she's a fucking actress <laughs> and she makes a bunch of different types of movies not all of them are going to be good it's actually yeah. perfect timing because um, go see Moonfall starring Halle Berry in theaters right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's going to age well, Trey. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's it. So why don't we get into the plot of this film? Question mark, question mark. Plot, question mark, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, folks, a uh, glimpse behind the curtain. Normally, I aim to have about two pages of plot. This movie, I had three and a half pages of plot, and then I condensed it down by just eliminating whole sections of chaos, and I now have it at one and a quarter page. That's how much just stuff happens in this movie. <laughs> Do y'all take notes when you're watching things for your podcast? Yeah, I mean, in that we were like usually just talking to each other, right? Well, because I was telling Joe before, and I was like, it was really weird because I was doing pretty good with my note taking for the first half, but then as pandemonium started to happen, my notes just became this like senseless ramble of, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Corridor of corpses, SWAT dudes, women in cages, Gerson Wig dies. That's basically my notes. Yeah, I, I don't even yeah. remember her dying in this. I remember her shooting people. No, she it's didn't. right afterwards. She gets exploded. Oh, she blows up. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm going to give a quick shout out to Molly Bandonis for her piece, Complicity in Darren Aronofsky's Mother. I'll bring it in a little bit later on. But also, just in case people wanted a overview of The Giving Tree, since I mentioned it in my opening It sets a bit of an environmental theme. It's a 1964 children's picture book that was written and illustrated by Shel Silverstein. (laughs) Shel Silverstein. Did you never read his uh, his little like children's poem books as a kid? 
I Absolutely the sidewalk ends. Yeah. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank y'all, gaming. <laughs> <laughs> I was really into them, so you're right. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were so good. Okay. Clearly, I was missing out as the only person who apparently did not. But the giving tree, it's about the give and take relationship between a talking tree who is coded as female and a boy as he matures and grows into a man and then an elderly person. And basically, he just takes everything from her. So he takes her apples and her branches and eventually her trunk. And it's apparently come under criticism because, of course, we're in a period right now where we like to ban and challenge books that are even remotely controversial. And... The film Mother ends up often getting referenced in conjunction with this book because if you look at the environmental themes, it's kind of, oh, well, it's Jennifer Lawrence just continually giving and giving and giving and really asking for very little in return to the point of her own destruction. It's really funny that you bring up, sorry, this is this is relevant, I promise, but I always thought for years, because when I was in uh, Bible school as a kid, there was a children's book we read, and it was about a tree, and it was like a lonely tree who was like, like there were trees around him, and you know, carpenters were coming and cutting them down and taking them, and he was like, oh my god, like what, what, when am I going to get to do something for humankind, blah, 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 what am I going to get to do? Mm-hmm. And the ending of the story is that they eventually take it to become the crucifix that Jesus Christ is crucified on, so it's like, oh my god. god. How beautiful. <laughs> For this children. really happy children's Bible story. Maybe the trees don't want to be sacrificed. It's gonna murder him. But but for ye- for years, I thought I thought the Giving Tree was that story. So when I, which granted, the Giving Tree also has a sad ending, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh, I was just yeah. I always thought they were the same thing. I was like, that's the one where the tree becomes the crucifix that dies that Christ dies on, right? Oh boy! It's just what the it's the give a mouse a cookie. It's the fish that gave away its scales. Mm-hmm. It's pretty common. It's like don't share for, ch- for children <laughs> is the motto. <laughs> Well, or learn to ask for only a little bit or maybe give like there's a a lack of reciprocity in a lot of these Mm -hmm. stories, right? It's take, take, take. And then eventually you will kill the thing that you're just taking from. Well, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. The tree and mother need to say fuck off. Yeah, which is why we get so much pleasure from some of her little acts of passive aggressiveness, like hiding man's cigarette lighter or throwing the wet laundry that woman leaves out and being like, mm-hmm. fuck you, I don't care about this shit anymore. It's just not enough, <laughs> right? Oh, I mean, we'll get to it, but the get the fuck out of my house is possibly like, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's so <laughs> cathartic. <laughs> so satisfying. Yes. Yeah. And I think that actually like this a whole conversation of like you know their their take 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 Mm -hmm. and i don't think it even is like that the moral is that the tree needs to tell them to fuck off i think it's that people (laughs) need to stop taking yeah like stop fucking taking (laughs) yeah entitlement is a word that's come up a lot in retrospective reviews of this film particularly right i don't Mm -hmm know that we even had the same kind of language in 2017 about like male entitlement and the creative process like people were definitely throwing around the word muse and that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. i mean we can also talk about this as not creator capital c as in god but really just the way that male creatives end up using and abusing their female muses and obviously yes we can talk about the irony of aronofsky dating a much younger woman in real life because of course he and jennifer lawrence hooked up after the shooting of this film and then they broke up because apparently he could not get over its commercial and creative failure question mark 
Well, and I mean, like the, the names that come to mind when you think about that are really—I mean, it, it, it's the obvious ones. Right? It's it's like Roman Polanski, it's Woody Allen, um, the ones that are more toxic than others. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess one final piece that I'll reference before we dive into this—I know, bear with me. <laughs> it's important to mention that there was something called Celebgate in 2014. It's when a number of actresses had private. Uh, sexually suggestive photos news and jennifer lawrence was one of those and a lot of people have honed in on her response to this which was that she would have rather had her house invaded rather than have this privacy of having her private photos leaked to the public and a lot of people said oh it's kind of interesting slash ironic that she ends up making a literal movie of that thing three years later I didn't realize that was so long ago, too. That seems like it was, like, honestly, around the time this movie came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so this movie begins with a very brief glimpse of a woman on fire. And then we get the title card. So, I had totally forgotten the movie began this way. Because you can tell immediately it's a different woman, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of a criticism that I have of a lot of films that begin with in BDS res, where mm. you're kind of telling the story in the middle. But I guess this is so cyclical that it's actually pretty easy to forget that the movie opens this way until you get to the end and realize, oh, shit, we have done this all before. And I yeah. do want to talk about that aspect because it goes kind of against the biblical part for me. But we can talk about that maybe at the end when we actually have the cycle start again. Mm hmm. So out of the remains of this charred woman, we see a crystal heart. And when it gets placed in a holder, we see an entire house uh, reconstituted from its charred remains. And this is the secluded house that is inhabited by a struggling poet known as him, as you said, Trace, capital H, played by Mm -hmm. Javier Bardem. And he also has a much younger wife, mother, small m played by jennifer lawrence and she has been doing all the renovations to get this house up to paradise level code as he struggles with his writer's block i will tell you i did struggle writing the notes for this i was like him mother man woman older son younger son (laughs) yeah it's a bit of a nuisance i think it works better when you just kind of read it and not when you actually have to explain it so yeah (laughs) uh bear with us listeners if we start talking about him or her and you have no idea which character we're talking about yeah we i watched i'm sure cat did too i watched it with subtitles so as soon as like the subtitle and it said man showed up i was like okay there we go (laughs) saddle up yes well and i think because every character's name is lowercase except for him right yes Uh correct yes because he is all powerful Mm -hmm. yeah so we should note that at one point Jennifer Lawrence's mother literally does say that she wants to make the house a paradise. So that's your first cue that this is a representation of the Garden of Eden. And then Mm -hmm. there's also numerous scenes throughout the film where she touches the walls, often where there's cracks, and you get visual imagery from her perspective of a beating heart. And as the chaos escalates throughout the film, that heart starts to become more black and charred and beat slower. 
Yeah. So throughout this recording, I'll pull in and Joe, I'll give you credit because you did send this to me before I had actually done my research. But um, this is a Time Magazine article called An Exhaustive List of All the References We Could Find in Mother um, by Eliana, Dr. Man and Eliza Berman. There's a bunch of stuff in here like uh, and the bloody hole in the floor, which I mean, because I kind of link that with the heart in kind of the same thing almost mm-hmm. but they they said that that's more of an homage to like Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart but then also the <laughs> they liken the hole in the floor to a vagina since it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like the like the physical representation of mother herself and she's linked to it so like right you know people were like oh why is there a heart in the toilet it's like well that's her heart like her heart lives in this house right or you could read that that is man literally vomiting up his own heart because he doesn't have one. Ooh, I like that too. So speaking of man played by Ed Harris, he arrives unexpectedly one day and him as in the Javier Bardem character invites (laughs) man in despite mother's clear (laughs) reservations. So um, immediately there's friction because mother has made this house of paradise for her and him and then all of a sudden there's this stranger who appears and him the Javier Bardem character is very receptive to this person so uh invites him in offers to let him stay and we also see that the relationship between him and mother is not great he does a lot of ordering around and she is very subservient so she's very happy to make tea she's very happy to clean up when there's a mess so the gender roles are fairly traditional and it kind of escalates when man arrives because all of a sudden now she's looking after two people who don't seem to give much of a fuck about her at all yeah cat had some words about that when we were watching <laughs> yeah i was like you're the one who let him stay here you make the bed i'm not <laughs> i'm gonna go to my room and sit where i want to be and you can take care of this man that i did not volunteer to take care of <laughs> exactly well, and again, like, if we're going with the Bible here, right? Because because the whole thing that Mother spends most of the beginning of this movie upkeeping the house, like fixing mm-hmm. up the house, trying to yes. turn up fucking paint color. Also, God, it's God. Oh, my God. Um, it's not really because <laughs> did she she says she built the house, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Like, did she make this house? That's what she tells woman when she arrives. Yes. So that's the only where where, okay, where the reading it as biblical allegory versus just conservationist allegory kind of start to war with each other. Because again, I mean, the Bible, God made the earth, right? It took however many days and nights, blah, blah, blah. On the seventh day, God created man. So it's interesting that they give that role to to mother in this movie and not God him. But God damn it. Not well, him. I think I think that she says to woman, this was his childhood home. Right. She says, like, why didn't you why don't you just tear it down and make a new one? And she says, because this is his home. That's right. She renovated it. Yeah. Just God sitting there by himself in his own little playground, just buying himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And wasn't it like originally supposed to be called like the seventh day or something? Oh, Maybe. Quite Maybe. possibly. Maybe they thought that was too on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) Aronofsky's like, no, don't read it that way. Don't read it literally. Also, this movie is called The Seventh Day. (laughs) (laughs) 
so it's also pretty clear that man isn't very healthy so he has a persistent cough if he tries to do too much laborious labor uh as i mentioned he is seen vomiting in the middle of the night and him is seen to take care of him he also has a suggestive back wound which could be attributed to a missing rib perhaps that made sense to me but what did y'all make of his coughing why is this man i mean obviously we know he, we know in the movie he's going to die but did y'all get any symbolism from that like what that is trying to represent no <laughs> like, <laughs> just quite honestly because at that point i wasn't even in there yet you know i was just like there's this rude man dying in my house for no reason mm -hmm. and and he's a doctor and he's smoking and i was like just the audacity of all of this yes. is <laughs> like it was just too triggering for me to even stop and be like hmm <laughs> So I read it uh, because you can also keep an eye out for various signs of plague and pestilence. Mm -hmm. And so I see this as, oh, there's a sick person who comes into the Garden of Eden and starts to corrupt it with his illness, his bad ideas, and so on. Mm, that makes sense. I'm actually surprised we don't get a serpent in this movie. I mean, we get a toad. Yeah, but I mean, that's not like, that's, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just did it of their own volition. They didn't need any. Yeah, they were just help. like, Eve is the worst. So <laughs> she didn't even need anybody to convince her. She was just inherently just gonna fuck it up. Right. <laughs> I mean, I feel like one of the other things that we should note is that this isn't, I think, Trace, you kind of cued us off the top, but this isn't a beat for beat retelling. A lot of it is right. fairly literal and on the surface, but it doesn't track according to one reading exactly in any case. So right. part of what makes the movie fun is saying, oh, that thing seems to be referencing this, but then there's other things that don't work for that reading. And it keeps the movie fresh and interesting, but also a little frustrating if you're looking for any consistency. Well, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, if you can just say, cool, this is biblical allegory from beginning to end, you can make that work and be fine. But yes, there are other readings, other deeper meanings that you can also pull out of it if mm -hmm. you want to do that extra work, which we'll see if we do that today. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so important to note that Mother is also experiencing pain. So uh, every once in a while, she just seems to either get chest or stomach pain. And, you know, she drops a saucer. There's a couple of times where it looks like she might fall over. And she is regularly seen to take a yellow liquid elixir to help calm either her nerves or soothe her symptoms. So what do y'all make of this thing? Because this is one that I, I did find in research, but I, I, this is the one where I was like, what the fuck is this shit? It just looked like dehydrated person pee, so I really didn't have <laughs> oh anything other than that. <laughs> I was just like, this is this is a strange directional choice. I went with what I was like, oh, sunshine, if she's Mother Earth. Hmm. But I was getting very, like, yellow wallpaper vibes. Okay. Of, like, this is how we keep her in this path <laughs> in our way and like there also is her like literally like up in this wallpaper but every time she did that i was like oh okay <laughs> this is some control yes like can you can you tell us a bit about what the yellow wallpaper is about just so we can get that connection yeah so it's a um short story and it's uh what is it Char charlotte perkins gilman yes gilman perkins? correct yeah and it's a it's a woman who is dubbed hysteric or just not behaving the way that women are perceived to 
do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they think something is wrong with her and her husband essentially locks her up away from everyone and is just like, she pretty much has postpartum and they lock her up. Uh, this is like me remembering from high school. Yeah. Um, and she's like slowly just descending into chaos all alone by herself up there yeah. to the point where she's like hearing things and experiencing things and kind of becomes into this wallpaper, which is just also <laughs> like you're trying to just morph into what they want you to be so you can escape. And just this whole discussion of like what, men are expecting women to be especially yep. during that time mm-hmm. and that's why i was like oh, okay <laughs> it's another clue i will yes. tack on to that just a tiny bit because the yellow is what comes in so yeah the story i don't want to say mirrors this one like very well but it is very similar and the character in this story is obsessed with the wallpaper which is a sickly color and has a yellow smell and the color yellow is just all over this. So, yeah, some people mm. think that that's why this essentially mother's emergency is yellow. Right. Yeah. People wrote that? Wow. Okay. That was enough. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know it wasn't just me being like, I've read a book. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, just you were fucking point. smart. <laughs> <laughs> Cape's a genius. I was over here just thinking it was pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Kat, I am right there with you. I thought, oh, wow, she's got some Gatorade in, like, little pill form. Or... <laughs> it's it Actually, it was B-com- It was B-complex. It'll take B-complex, like, it turns your urine, like, neon yellow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gross, gross, gross. So, one morning, woman shows up, and woman is played by Michelle Pfeiffer. She's looking absolutely fucking great, and... <sighs> I think she was actually the main reason why I was so excited for this movie because it was, as we mentioned, billed as a horror film and there's Michelle Pfeiffer acting her ass off. And this is such a fun role for her because she really is pretty fucking nasty. Just chaos. Well, also, I think at this time, because Michelle Pfeiffer hasn't been making like a lot of movies. No. In the 2010s, at least. Like, she's doing more now, especially with indie work. But, like, this to me was, like, like a return to cinema for Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it is, um... It's hard to remember that, like, a man and woman leave this movie at the hour mark. Like, they, they're gone. Mm-hmm. But, like, goddamn, does she make an impression in this role. Yeah. I think Ed Harris is fine i like ed harris a lot but this also feels like a fairly comfortable role for him he's doing what he needs to do it's working michelle pfeiffer comes in and she's revelatory and yes this is obviously the gay in me talking but she shows (laughs) up she's she's a tour de force in a tour de force movie and i really think that she brings the energy level up into this like end of first act into the middle part of the film Mm. So, woman is quite blunt, and she's also relatively inquisitive. She likes to aggressively make out with man, so her her introduction is basically, hi, I'm here, and then she and Ed Harris are (laughs) making out on this front porch. Yeah. She's here to fuck. (laughs) She is very sexual, yes. Well, I will say, though, her first conversation with mother, because she's... It's very candid, but it doesn't start as very rude. But then, like, Mm -hmm. two lines later, Mm -hmm. she she starts being really rude about why she doesn't want to have kids. She's like, oh, my God. Yes. You do want to, but you can't have them. Oh, my God. Maybe he doesn't love you. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
you're working so hard and it's for nothing. Basically. <laughs> you poor thing. That is um, Aronofsky talking to his composer during this movie. Oh, no. Oh, wow, Trace. <laughs> I think that really works well in favor of the reading of the male creator and his muse, right? So it's this idea that he's so inspired by you, but he doesn't want to fuck you. And why haven't you been having sex? And the age difference is so big. How is this working? So in some ways, Michelle Pfeiffer is that mouthpiece for all of the things that society doesn't frequently say about these kinds of relationships. And I love her undercutting line where she just repeatedly says, Oh, you really do love him because he doesn't love you. <laughs> it's so patronizing. Granted, I've only read the book of Genesis once and it was something I had to do with. For... <laughs> uh, sorry, Gabe, you said you grew up religious. Was it Catholic specifically? It was Christian. It was okay. Southern. <laughs> so Catholics, you know, we have this thing called Lent where it's like uh, it's the Ash Wednesday starts and it goes through Easter. It's 40 days, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that Josh Hartnett movie. Yes, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but typically you have to give up something. And so, yes, in the Josh Hartnett movie, um, he gives up, what, all sex and masturbation? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so my mom started making my sister and I a deal where she was like, in lieu of giving something up, you can read from the Bible for 30 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. So I did that one year. Okay. That's not bad. It was okay. Well, it's like reading Shakespeare, though. Like, honestly, it was. It, I didn't find it as easy to read <laughs> as some people no. do. No. But... I don't remember Eve being portrayed as, like, she is the one that bites into the tree of life or whatever the hell the fruit is first mm-hmm. because the serpent tempts her. Right. This movie kind of affects that where it's like, oh, no, no, she goes in on her of her own volition and, like, wants to do this because she's kind of an evil bitch. And I, I find yeah. the characterization of woman in this movie just very interesting because it didn't have to be like this. <laughs> it didn't have to make her a bitch. They chose to. <laughs> I think it's also like, it, to me, it's the, it's the approach that the Bible takes with women, though, because none mm-hmm. of them mean anything. Like any of them that have power don't really. They're subservience or, mm. and a lot of them are erased or the roles that they actually played in potential like history or in other works. Yeah, they're either given to men or they're given these like you know Mary Magdalene. You yeah, know, saying right. that she was a sex worker, and it's like that's not <laughs> even like people are like that's not real. <laughs> and so like, and it's apocryphal. But like, anytime there's like women in the Bible, there is this either subservient woman or you have someone like Lilith who's like, how dare you tell me what to do? And that's the bad woman, right? So I was like, in kind of like going back to that East of Eden situation, it is right. that like because. People really do see Eve as evil a lot of the time because she did bring down Adam as if, like, he couldn't speak for himself. Right. right. I do like, because, yeah, the East of Eden comparison, because the reason, it's not, her name isn't Eve, but whatever her name is in that in that book. She really, well, she's kind of born bad, but society also puts her there because of how society treats women. So, I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I do like that. I like that. So one of the things that repeatedly happens with this woman is she tries to sneak into the study because she is attracted to this crystal that we saw at the opening of the film. And man also did that to a certain extent when he was showering him with all sorts of praise for being a famous poet. So people are 
attracted to this gem. And at one point, woman and man accidentally break it, which has no religious connotations at all. So we can just <laughs> totally move by it. Yeah, and they're cast out of the paradise house. And that's totally unrelated. Mm-hmm. And then they go to fuck because they've lost their innocence and they re- recognize each other's bodies for the first time. There we go. Yeah, so as as Mother is trying to get rid of the humans from Paradise, we've also got him getting very upset and boarding up the study. So, like, the gateway to heaven has been closed off. Like, it's not available to these people anymore. And just when you think, okay, cool, I've got this message, we're going to move on, we sort of do, because this is when we get the appearance of older son, who is played by Domino Gleason, and younger brother, who is played by his brother, Brian Gleason. <laughs> Inspired casting. I did not know that. This story always made me, sorry, not this this scene in this movie, but like the Cain and Abel story always made me the saddest. Like, it's just a really, I mean, logistics aside, because I'm like, okay, wait, like Adam and Eve, cool, they give birth to two sons. Where does the population go from there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, like, it's just, like, again, brother on brother. And this is actually, I feel like, the most abbreviated of the, like, biblical stories that we get here. It it seems like it happens very quickly. Oh, Oh, yeah. 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 And this is where it all (laughs) made sense to me. And it, like, (laughs) I just just wanted to read the, my reaction to Kat was just, like, oh, my God, that's some Cain and Abel shit. (laughs) She was Mother Earth. (laughs) Then Adam and Eve just showed up toxic, toxic as shit with their toxic ass kids. <laughs> and I was like, and one of them is killing the other. That's it. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> then I just lost. I was like on my conspiracy theory. Like I had the red thread and she's like, they did call it paradise. And I was like, oh my God, it all connects. <laughs> um, I also want to point out too, because I didn't know this, in some interpretations of the Bible, the fruit, because it's normally an apple. Like that's normally right. how it's portrayed. In some versions of the Bible, it's um, either an etrog or a citron, which is a lemon-like fruit, which is why a woman is uh, making alcoholic lemonade in this movie. Uh, I thought she'd just like Smirnoff ice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was like, the, the constant clinking of the ice in the glass mm-hmm. every time she moved. Ugh, it, it just put me on edge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is where the anxiety really starts to ratchet up as well, because we think we're getting rid of these characters and then their sons appear. And then you're absolutely right, Gabe. It just immediately goes into violence where they're fighting, they're (laughs) scuffling, and then one is getting bludgeoned. His blood gets sprayed onto Mother's face and she's just stunned and there's a pool of blood. And all of a sudden they're out the door and she's crying and left by herself. It all happens so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is maybe the only time that we're going to say that in this entire movie, because everything else is just super slow. (laughs) (laughs) What really hit me, like, immediately after that happens, though, she, like, begs him to stay. Yes. And, like, I get it. Someone's dying. But, like, she Mm -hmm. begs him, like, very, like, viscerally freaking out. And he's just like, no, I'm going to take care of these people. Well, it even going back to like a man and woman's like reaction when they break this crystal i'm sorry we're all in like the same general area here but like yeah they're really upset and like oh my god we're so sorry and then what not 60 seconds later like they're fucking mother gives them kind of like oh, what the fuck and then mo- woman is just like we said we were sorry and yes 
I love how that, but again, that mirrors, I mean, like, you know, you fuck up something in the grass, you're like, oh shit, that really sucks, but then you forget about it, because it means nothing to you in the long run, just like this study means nothing to man and woman in the long run. Well, I also find men and women are really painted like children, right? I think it comes through a lot more in woman, the Michelle Pfeiffer character. Mm-hmm. She's so petulant and just kind of dismissive. It really reminds me of the way a child reacts when you scold them. Like, well, I said it was sorry. Okay, can yeah. I play now? But Adam and Eve are very much like that too, because it's that loss of innocence biting into the fruit, like literally disobeying the only rule God had for them that makes them lose that innocence. And yeah, when they see each other, when they realize that they're naked for the first time, it's the same feeling as like two kids playing doctor with each other. Mm -hmm. So mother is now by herself. And this is where we see the appearance of the blood stain. So she, she wipes away most of the blood, but there's a bit that she can't get rid of. And it seems to be malleable. She can actually stick her fingers in and yes, we can do a little bit of sexy imagery (laughs) here if we wanted to, but what eventually comes out of it is that she finds a hidden room that's been barricaded up in the basement and it leads to a giant boiler that's filled with oil and uh yes folks who want to play the religious reading game there is a frog that hops out from behind this locked room and that could be seen as one of the 10 infamous plagues so I was thinking that too. That's right. And when I first saw this, I was like, oh shit, we're going to get some plagues in this shit. Um, <laughs> don't. Not really. No. It could also be seen as a reference to Dante's uh, The Divine Comedy. Because mm-hmm. uh, the frog might invoke a fable in which it represents demons, which I guess is something from The Divine Comedy. So that's also something. I didn't realize that frogs had such a um, devilish little history. <laughs> I didn't even remember the frog. <laughs> it's a blink and you miss it. Like she she tears down the wall and this frog hops by and it's kind of like, peace out. Thanks, mom. See you later. <laughs> yeah. So she ends up coming upstairs and the older son is there, but only briefly. And him returns to comfort mother as she cries. So, yeah, we get a bit of a, a reprieve, like a breathing moment as he takes a quick nap and she's like, awesome, I'm just going to start to clean up a little bit. And then all of a sudden she starts to hear noises and people are back. But it feels like for her only a couple of minutes have passed, but everyone's reacting as though days have passed. So we get the family back. They are dressed in their funeral garb. We've got a bunch of friends and family who have accompanied them. So the house is starting to fill up with people. She is dressed like she's going to bed. Mother is. And him is nowhere to be found. All of a sudden, he's down in the kitchen. He's delivering speeches about life and death. All of these people are eating it up. And Mother has no fucking clue what is going on. (laughs) But then they ask her... Why don't you say something, mother? It's so awkward. She was just like, um, I really want y'all to leave, but I can't say that because this is a funeral, so. And she tries to get an olive branch, right? Like, she tells woman, I'm so sorry for your loss, but then what does woman do? She just brushes that shit off. Like, mm-hmm. are you sorry? Are you? And also, why are you underdressed? Yeah, she, Kat said she taught her shame. Wow. Yes, I did say yes. that. Uh, see, and I, I was just taking it as like, I don't know, like someone talking to the earth, like, why don't you look better, but not doing anything to contribute to the earth's like look, but I like that breathing better. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so Mother ends up going upstairs to change clothes. She ends up having to kick multiple different couples who are either in the process of fornicating or looking to get there. (laughs) And by the time she comes back downstairs, this is starting to become less of a wake and more of a party. So we've just got people perched everywhere and one of my favorite recurring motifs in this section is that couple who will not get the fuck off the sink oh you know who the woman is right i mean you're gonna tell me so it's it's emily hampshire aka stevie from schitt's creek (laughs) oh really i mean that makes sense because i think this might have been shot in canada entirely possible um but yeah i mean this is when like again my note taking kind of went off the rails because i was like hey i'm just gonna stop taking notes but uh, some things i noted like uh it's the way people just flippantly reply to her right Mm -hmm. like she's like what are you doing just exploring or when the guy is like um he grabs her and he's like get out of my face you arrogant cunt and it's just all this stuff where it's just people treating her the host their host i'm sorry the Mm -hmm. host's wife i guess in their eyes as less than I also wanted to go back a tiny bit if y'all want to discuss it, but like before woman tells her, why don't you put on something decent? She tells her, you cannot understand if you don't have a child. And mm-hmm. I know Joe doesn't, but does anyone here have kids? No, no. I have cats. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Almost the same. Yeah. And have y'all ever had someone say something like that to you specifically about kids and you not having them? Oh, yeah, I used to work in schools, so all the time. Yeah. Especially if you were, like, telling them something negative. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, well, do you have kids? And I'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you're going to say after this is going to (laughs) be not productive to what I'm trying to fix, but okay. Exactly. Uh, But yes. No offense to anyone with kids, obviously. I know not everyone is like that, but that is definitely um because my husband and I never plan on we never plan on having kids, and we really thought that being gay that would be the one question we could avoid um as we got older. But nope, the <laughs> we still get those people that are like, oh, do y'all want kids? No. Oh my god, why not? And it's like, well, <laughs> it's like, have you seen outside? <laughs> <laughs> also, it's really hard for two gays to have kids. Even if we wanted them, it's just a hassle. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think it's an interesting um. If we're just stripping the movie down to its basic, like, gender roles, mm-hmm. that's always something that comes to women who don't want kids. Which, I mean, I know in this movie we know she wants kids, but the way that people look down on women who do not want children. Or, like, don't let you not have children. Like, the amount. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, I changed my mind, and I'm still mad at the doctor who told me I would, and I was like, I'm not, so. But Ooh. I wanted to get my tubes tied when I was, like, in my early 20s, and they were like, um, I really don't feel comfortable doing that because, yeah. like, you're young and you're going to change your mind. And at the time, I was very certain I would never change my mind. And if I did not fall in love, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it's just, like, it's very real that that's something that actively happens where you're, like, just kind of, like, in many ways, forced to conceive children, even if you do not want to. And you're very firm on that. I was just going to say the other thing is that the onus is all on the woman mm-hmm. too because in this it's like you don't have kids and it's never like what's his deal <laughs> like, right. except like the one question of like he doesn't want them but he's been kind of pushing that the whole time but that's just like historical is like it's the woman's fault that the kids aren't here yet or they don't look the way we want them to as if it does not take two or the inverse which is that oh how come you have kids oh well it's her fault Mm-hmm. In every scenario, when woman asks her, it's either "Oh, your body is incapable," or "Oh, you're not doing enough to make him want to fuck you." So it's it's yeah, it's never him; it's always on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
as was said, this movie's not particularly kind to women. <laughs> well, okay, I'm sorry. One more question. So would y'all would y'all call this movie misogynistic? Hmm. There's not a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious. I mean, like, the tone is there. I don't think that that was the intention necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely could see how it comes off that way. Like, there's not one good woman character like mother <laughs> kind of but most but of the film up. is just like her getting the shit kicked out of her so like yeah. there's not like any instance where a woman's having a good time or like <laughs> <laughs> no. anything remotely positive is really happening yeah yeah i also think it's like in the intent too, like because there's always this like line that film's I'd say specifically directed by like male mm-hmm. males telling like female stories where we kind of like tell this line of like, are we just continuing to create the same problem by trying to criticize the problem? Like we're still, we're making media that features the same horrible tropes and experiences and traumas and we're having to see them on screen. Mm-hmm. So you're just creating another thing that has that versus like, are we dissecting that and like really like being critical of it instead of just making more of it? Um, and it's really hard to find like, especially in horror, honestly, where those things fall. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is looking behind the scenes and like how much agency women have there in like the writing or the directing or like being on the crew and having any say in how things are portrayed Mm -hmm. and is this cathartic for women i don't think so (laughs) like i didn't feel ever like oh good (laughs) someone is telling my story kind of thing (laughs) i i think so yeah I, i do think it's portraying misogyny absolutely but i think because that intent was to enrage you like you're supposed to look at how this film treats this woman and mm-hmm. you're supposed to be angry you're not ever supposed to be like yeah uh-huh <laughs> i love this <laughs> so uh, th- that's where i'm like okay yeah but you're right w- where is the line because i can totally see someone watching this and being like this is so offensive to me or to women in general but yeah, for me, I, I do think this movie is putting a spotlight on misogyny, and while mm-hmm. definitely not approving of it, but and that's why it's it's so frustrating. It's trying to get that reaction yeah. out of you. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, when you're telling someone you want something to change, and then their interpretation is they're going to make a movie about it, where what they should be doing is calling out people in their lives and uplifting people, like uplifting women to make films. So I guess, like, that probably would have been better. Um, <laughs> I also... Sorry, go ahead, Kat. No, you're good. I was That was basically my thought. <laughs> I just... I think, like, something that we generally, like, explore in our show is always, like, what right do you have to tell this story <laughs> to? Mm. So if we are going to address, like, misogyny and do that, it really is, like... I totally, like, give you credit for acknowledging that that exists and it sucks. Uh, but you also have to, like, acknowledge that you are also victim to it and participate that in that as well and mm-hmm. so it's like how much of this can you really tell authentically mm. right i think too um it also because i see this a lot of people critique misogyny especially in horror films where it's like why would anyone be entertained by that right like why are you putting misogyny or rape or whatever in a film and i don't for a second ever find that this movie is trying to entertain us mm-hmm. so yeah i'd yeah. agree okay okay <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we can probably continue to address that, especially in the back half of the film, as things get even more unhinged. I will say we're actually up to a slightly cathartic part in the film because Mother reaches her limit. It requires a biblical flood, so the sink ends up breaking and it floods the kitchen, and this is when she tells everyone to get the fuck out. And then she and him have this fight, and I actually really like the things that get said here because, as I think, Gabe, you mentioned, we don't get a lot of Javier Bardem in this film. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, as a result, get that much to do because more, most of the time he's just out there being worshipped and adored and occasionally popping in to save her in the back half. But here, the two of them actually get to really go at it. So she ends up saying that he abandons her and that he won't fuck her. And he says that the house is suffocating and he wants to bring new life into it. And I don't love how this turns into a a slightly uncomfortable sex scene for me, but Mm -hmm. I do like that we're getting these pair to reveal some of their feelings. And this is where we kind of go into a calm before the storm as we transition into the back half of the film. So we sort of reset, you know, we wake up the next day, it's sunny, it's bright, everything seems to be okay. The house is obviously still a complete fucking disaster. She calls it an apocalypse, just in case you're still not paying attention. (laughs) Because <laughs> this kind of, this to me, it, it's signifying like the difference between the Old Testament and the New, right? Old Testament, we have this vengeful, wrathful God, and New Testament's a more forgiving, kind God because his son's out there doing the Holy Spirit shit. Right. Okay. I mean, I can buy that. I can buy it. He's <laughs> <laughs> having women wipe his feet, clean his feet. He's bringing yeah. people back from the dead, all that shit. Love Good that. times. So yeah. Well. Yeah. The party never stops now that Jesus is on earth. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. But then what happens next? Yeah. Where are we going? So... <laughs> so in this bright, shining new day, this is when Mother realizes that she is pregnant. And initially, him seems excited. But then you realize, oh, his inspiration is actually because of the pain from the people of the night before. So he gets down to writing. She gets down to cleaning and preparing the nursery because we're still doing that gendered shit. She put and it then... in the murder room, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is true baby goes in the murder room why would you put the baby in the murder room this well there's so I'm little saying. space in this house there's only about 15 rooms that you could pick yeah from. put a rug down <laughs> yeah, honestly. i do love that idea though it feels to me like if i read it from the environmental perspective i'm like oh look it's like she's putting a band-aid over the wound yeah. shockingly enough it doesn't work Every yeah. time I go in here, I remember that time that boy killed that other boy uh, mm-hmm. and cradle my baby. It's going to yeah. be lovely. You know what, though? She's got her yellow ass wall, so she's fine. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Like that wall. You're good to go. <laughs> so uh, he's getting down to that writing. He's making a lot of good progress. And then one day he finishes his New Testament style poem about how they rebuild the world. And it's so magnificent. The publisher is already on the phone and she loves it. (laughs) And people have decided to start showing up at the house to worship him. And this is when I'm going to bring in Molly Bandonis. She starts to credit what happens next as a microcosm of civilization. So, folks, if you have not seen this film, just to prepare you, it's basically 
the history of the world in about 30 <laughs> minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will tell you, there is a certain movie that came out last month that um, takes a stab at toxic fandom. And I would argue this movie does the exact same thing. A little bit. They are all forgiving of everything that this man does. They take everything at face value except his word as gospel. And the number one acolyte is a zealot played by Stephen McCaddy, Canada represent. (laughs) Yeah. And we also have his publisher, literally his publisher, uh, the Herald, (laughs) who is played by Kirsten Wig. And she I love that one of her very first lines is, oh, it's really hot in here. Because that's definitely yeah. not a comment on global warming. <laughs> yeah, I have that written down. It's hot in here. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's also like, I mean, like we, we, we witness people going to war over this poem. Like, because yes. so many, especially like, you know, so many wars are fight over religious rights. And again, in the grand scheme of things, you know, obviously religion, people are very passionate about it. It's like, okay, I guess I can get why people would be so up in arms. But when it shrunk down to this little scale of, oh, it's this man's poem. Mm -hmm. At least for me, it really puts into perspective how silly a lot of this is, right? It's like, well, just let people do what they want to do. Let people believe what they want to believe. If they don't believe what what you do, don't kill them. It's okay. But Tracy, you have to remember that one of the great virtues of this poem is that everybody interprets it in their own way. Yes. And that's the thing with the, I'll never forget, because, I mean, you know, growing up gay, you you hear a lot of like, well, no religion's going to like you because, or no religion will accept you because every religion like is like Mm anti-queer. I'll never forget my fresh sophomore year of college. This, this, it was a queer preacher came to UT. They did a, they did a, um, a sermon about how the Bible has been interpreted differently over the centuries and th- or thousands of years and whatever. Right. And how there are some readings where it's like, no, like it can say man cannot lie with man, blah, blah, blah. But like this, because of all the translations throughout the years, like this actually may have meant this other thing at one point in time. So it's really hard to nail down. Like what, what did the Bible originally say? And by Bible, I mean the book that was written by a bunch of men. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But it was the first time I'd ever, like, heard that. Like, I've never, I'd never heard that the Bible could be interpreted in different ways. That there were some ver- interpretations of the Bible that didn't say that being gay was bad. And it felt like such like a weight had been lifted off of my sh- uh, off my chest when I heard that for the first time. Yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we've heard, you know, Trace, we've gotten a lot of feedback because we do have religious listeners who do identify on the lgbtq spectrum Mm -hmm. and it's one of those great things where you realize oh the classical interpretation of the bible or the way that religion is depicted often in horror films is only one way of looking at it and well okay it also kind of reminds me of like how we look at film or any kind of art right like you can interpret any work of art and i'm going to call the bible a work of art i won't call it a work of fiction because i know for some people it's not yeah that's offensive you can interpret it in very different ways but look at the way that some people get mad at us right joe and it's like oh you're reaching like that's not what the intent was that's not what that's not that i don't see that people get so mad about us reading queerness into a film that doesn't have explicit queerness like it's not that different than people fighting over the the, the words of the word of God. Mm. That is so true. <laughs> we get that too. This isn't a feminist film. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it is. We're, were we watching the same film? Or um, yeah, I agree with that because it's also like what there's also varying degrees of how 
literal people take the Bible too. Yeah, there's some people who yeah. take it very literally, and then there's others who use it as like a map, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like here's how to be a better person and to treat people better, to live your life in this like with these stories. And when I was growing up, like in you know Sunday school and all those, those were like fairy tales to me. I was like, these are you know Noah's Ark. He puts all the animals in there. That's crazy. But as like a young person, I was like, that's fantastical. Mm. And I think, you know, as you grow, those things and those interpretations really change. And I really love that kind of link back to the same thing with film. Because even when like you make a film, you can't always control how people are going to see things or interpret things Mm -hmm. or put their own feelings onto it. And that's 100% what the Bible is, right? Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, again, like I'm not going to sit here and talk about like how the Bible was made, but I, I sometimes have this, have y'all ever seen the movie Saved? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Okay. A. Yes. Yes. Watch Saved. (laughs) With Um, Mandy Moore, right? Yes. Yes. With Mandy Moore and Jenna Malone. But but there's this line that Jenna Malone's character, because basically Jenna Malone, her boyfriend is gay and she has sex. She has a vision that Jesus tells her to help him by having sex with him. And she doesn't use a condom. So she gets pregnant. And they're all, it's a really, they all go to a, a religious school. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has this line where it's like, I know this is terrible. I know it's blasphemous. But do you ever wonder if maybe Mary made it up? Like maybe Mary just accidentally had sex and got knocked up. And she was just like, hey, um, I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm giving virgin birth. And I have that thought a lot when I think about things in the Bible. And I also have that same thought when I'm like, well, when people are writing the Bible, you have a bunch of men writing it. And I'm like, what if there was this one really fucking conservative guy who was like, oh, yeah, no gays. Let me add let me add the book of Leviticus in here real quick (laughs) and just like slotted it in with his own mindset. When I was in college, I did history. I was a history major. And a lot of what we learned was historiography, which is like why something is written the way that it is. And I think that's Mm -hmm. how like we end up. That's what my influence usually is a lot on our show. But if you think about like the motivations that the Bible was written, how it was to motivate how society was operating, there are inherent benefits to pushing certain narratives to support subservience, etc. And like, I think there's a lot of things to be said probably about like why it was written the way it was because of the time period that it was written in. Mm -hmm. And I think your interpretation is right. Like, the Virgin Mary was probably was what it was, honestly. <laughs> so yeah, just like trying to like figure out exactly why it was written how it was and what the cultural implications of why it was written the way it was and the, how the interpretations kind of go from there even. Yeah, and, and this isn't to discredit what anyone thinks or believes about the Bible. I mean, this is just like, again, like me parsing through my own thoughts about when, when I start to really think about the religion and Bible and all the Bible and all this, it's just my mind wanders and it just it starts to become very abstract. Right. Which I think is the, what your mind is supposed to do when you're reading that too. Mm-hmm. Supposed to just kind of explore it. Yeah. It's like the most bought book ever, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, the number one bestseller of all time. What did they say in this movie? Um, Every copy sold day one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When Kirsten Wiig shows up, she literally says, we're going into a second printing. <laughs> I mean, really, if we if we do bring it back to the film, this film is quite damning on this idea of buy into whatever this man says as gospel, treat him as though he is holier than thou, because look at what ultimately ends up happening, right? I mean, we're at the stage in the film where things get really out of control. So 
at one point, a woman cuts out of the signing line that him has set up with his publisher, mm-hmm. the Herald. And this woman just starts grabbing items because she wants to have a piece of him to take with her. Mm-hmm. And when mother goes to stop her, this woman gets really angry. And then she says, well, now I've got to find something else. And people just begin destroying this house because they are coveting anything to be close to him. They are treating his words as though they are better than anybody else's. And, you know, from what we've seen of him, he's not that great. Yeah. This is really when, though, you can divide the line, though, between biblical allegory and this conservationist thing, because you can also just see this as, yeah, uh, yep, all these people just fucking moving in on Mother Earth, Mm -hmm. tearing up her shit. (laughs) Yes. But I think this is also where it maybe starts to lose people, because we start to get imagery, like the house turns into a war zone, and we've got SWAT teams that are shooting people who are protesting with Molotov cocktails. We've got women who are imprisoned in a sex ring. We've got the zealot who is blessing devotees with an Ash Wednesday symbol up on the landing. And the Herald Mm -hmm. has begun killing people in what looks like a fairly, you could either say it's gangland style executions or like Abu Ghraib kind of uh, militaristic, like people with their heads in bags and we shoot them. But then there's also like a nightclub in the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, some sexy half-naked dancing going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna say for a film with this much like religious themes, and I'm surprised there isn't like any. I mean, again, we're talking about this on horror queers, but like there isn't really any queerness in this film. No, not a ton. Mm-mm. But also, there yeah. there aren't really characters in this movie either, right? I mean, <laughs> we've got Mother as our proxy, but she's, I don't want to say undeveloped, but. As you said, Trey, she doesn't seem to know what's going on. So she's just a witness to the chaos. And then nobody else really makes an impact. It's all just sound and fury. But she's not... I'm trying to think of I'm trying to parse why maybe this ending is so difficult for some people to latch onto because I think again if by this point you haven't picked up that a lot of this is a metaphor mother does not respond or react to a lot of these things the way any normal person would react to say a mass execution happening in their living room you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yes she's definitely just surveying she's like what is going on oh my god <laughs> technically you could say that she's in shock uh she's having to process a lot of things very quickly but yeah in in the world of the film time is liminal like you know there there's the moment from when they have sex till she wakes up and she's immediately pregnant and then it seems like a couple of days go by but it could also be months because she's very heavily pregnant very quickly so the film doesn't operate under regular rules of logistics no, 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 it does not. But I think that some audience members didn't realize that, right. which is where that F cinema score came from. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, like, why does she have to be mad or upset about these people who invaded her house? It shouldn't be there in the first place. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Mother said, fuck them kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, she really should have. And I, you know, if we're kind of seeing Mother as a proxy for the audience, at this point, all of us are like open mouth, just kind of staring oh, yeah. at the screen with question marks in our eyes. Like there's just at that point, it's just like, what is happening? What is happening? And it's so quick. It's very fast. And <laughs> I feel 
bad for using this as like the example, but uh, Kat sent me this video from Encanto where it's the, the, the um, oh my God, what is the name of the song with the strong sister? Oh, um, I love that song. Yes. <laughs> So the music video, someone edited it where it gets faster every time they see a donkey in it. And so then by the end, it's just like chaos because it's like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. and that's like what, because it starts to really pick up. And then all of a sudden we're just like moving forward. And like, at this point, Kat was like, I guess all of humanity is happening at once. Yep. And I was like, yeah, people do be having wars and slavery and revolutions and pestilence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that's the thing. And like, I, I, I didn't do this on the time for it, but like you could pick apart every, every like set of two to three shots in the final 30 minutes of this movie. And there's probably something like, it's just a different aspect of, yeah, like the human, the history of the human race. Yeah. It's easy to miss stuff because it's all happening so fast. So I do... Not that I think that repeat viewings will enrich the experience, because I think that you're already pretty much getting the gist of it when you watch it. Mm -hmm. But I think you will pick up on more of the historical aspects um, and visual cues in those last 30 minutes the more you watch it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And luckily enough, we now get a, a minor reprieve because this is where him actually rescues mother. He gets her up into the study. He's removed some of the boards so that they can seek refuge in there. And this is when she gives birth to a baby boy. Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you thought the movie was about to be over, um, it's not. <laughs> no. Yeah, and then cue the most creepy, like, stare at her for however long time where it's like what are you doing sir there is a really good line delivery from lawrence though when, he, when she won't give him the baby because he wants the baby and she's like no and he's like i'm his father and her retort is i'm his mother like yeah. that line reading is pitch perfect and i was just like oh yes <laughs> tell him <laughs> yeah like finally you know <laughs> that was the line that got her nominated for the razzie folks <laughs> <laughs> oh no. No, it's so good. And then they were like, they left gifts. They're like, is it frankincense, myrrh, gold? <laughs> yeah. Like, are we are we gonna heavy hit this one or Well, we definitely skip any kind of miracles this baby performs. Indeed. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so bad so quick. I knew he was dead, but I didn't know. <laughs> It's one of, actually, Joe, Joe, t mm -hmm. say what happens and then we'll talk about this. <laughs> okay, so him wants to show the baby off because him doesn't actually give a shit about this child. He just wants to be able to get new forms of adoration from this group. So he waits until she falls asleep. He steals the baby. She wakes up, notices that the crib with this basket is empty and she goes out. And the way I described it in my notes is that the baby is being passed around crowd surfing style. Yes! <laughs> yes. And mother is trying to get to it, but there's just so many people. You just kind of see the baby dip out of sight. And then the foley is this excruciating crack. And you know that that child is dead. And it's horrifying. But that's yeah. not really the end of it either. <laughs> that is not, no. So she pushes forward hurt. and she sees that they have torn the child apart and they are consuming it like communion. And this is when she loses her shit a little bit, and she actually starts slashing and killing people. Oh, very good. She cathartic. should, honestly. Oh, absolutely. At this point, we are just like stand up, ovation, clapping, cut those motherfuckers up. Where are the hurricane tsunamis and? But 
y'all, let, let's not diminish the fact that this is a $30 million major motion picture studio release mm -hmm. that went to theaters for the mainstream, like, audiences, and we've got a baby getting its neck broken and then mm -hmm. eaten. Yeah. Cannibalized. And again, yeah, this is representing, like, you know, the Holy Communion. You know, you're eating the body of Christ, you're drinking the blood of Christ, but literalizing it to where you're just like, ugh. Like, what did Grandma Mabel say at this point? She probably just walked in. Right? <laughs> she left. Yeah. yeah, she left. She was gone long before this scene. <laughs> yeah, she was not around. Someone helped her out. She and Aunt Joan went for drinks. Yeah, they were fine. Because, like, the, you know, the beginning of this film, you know, I would even classify as kind of like a thriller in that way of, like, you have suspense, you have, like, this pull. And then it just kind of dips into horror where, like, it's as if they were like, oh, right, we want this to be a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Let's throw in some really, like, guttural, like, stomach-turning things. And it really, like, what happens to Mother in this scene, mm -hmm. like, as they retaliate was gratuitous. Like, it was so much that I, it, like, hurt. And I'm like, I get where you're, like, even when I get it, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if we need it. Because I think I would have got it even without. It Interestingly enough, it was also Lawrence's decision to be topless when the guy, because she was wearing a bra underneath and she was like, it needs to be more. It needs to be harsher. Harsher. I need to be more exposed. And I guess she took it literally. And so she took her bra off prior to filming the scene. Uh, I'd completely forgotten about the nudity, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I remembered that there, there were some visceral moments like not quite body horror, but that they beat her really badly. I remember seeing the makeup of her face. But yeah, they they basically beat the shit out of her, call her a bunch of slurs, and it looks like they could either sexually assault her and or kill her. Which they don't... The reason I don't think they actually sexually assault her is because I think the house is the stand-in for that. Because I think the house right. is being raped for most of the second half of this film. So... Well, and granted, I'm glad. I mean, again, we've been talking about rape a lot, a lot the past couple of weeks. So I'm glad that we don't have that happen in this scene. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a little surprised we don't have that in this scene, given what is happening. <sighs> I, I feel like it would have been a step too far. Oh, yeah. You know, no. kind of like what Kat just said, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, we're often talking about ways that you can kind of show trauma without having to have that on screen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Trace, like what you're saying, like with the house being invaded and like that she has already been violated in all of these ways yeah. that we don't need, like, you don't need that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it is, it is pretty clear the violations that are occurring and we don't need to go that like step farther in traumatizing our audience. They get it. Like they're already sick. Yeah. yeah. They ate a baby on on screen. <laughs> yeah, I am full Lisa Kudrow in the comeback. Like at the end of a long day, I don't need to see that. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is when you know him, as always, plays the savior, runs in, saves her briefly, and then fucks off. So. He stops the crowd from killing her, and she uses the destruction as an opportunity to run to the basement. They're all trying oh, yeah, to wait, follow. Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Wait. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, he says, we have to forgive them. 
Yeah. Oh my god. Which he did. Th- this is that New Testament God coming in, right? And like, no matter what, it's like, oh no, we forgive them. Like, and that's also why Christ died. Christ died for our sins, so right. we could have that option to ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mother is not having that shit. No, burn it down. And neither was the audience. Indeed. Yeah. Can you imagine if she had a rolled over and we just had to watch her see like, oh, I guess. Okay. Maybe they can slap a new coat of paint on the walls or something. (laughs) They can make a new baby. (laughs) Oh, God. I also, because I found this out in my research too. So the lighter she grabs has a symbol on it. And there's two Mm -hmm. different readings of it that I found. So one, it depends on what you think the symbol is. So this one reading says the lighter appears to have the symbol of the Windhorn. It's a runic symbol that represents the cooperation between nature's eternal laws working in effect and in accordance with each other. So essentially this is the lighter providing justice (laughs) for this. Fair enough. The other reading is that it's the Pisces symbol, which ironically enough, that's my uh, that's my astrological sign. Oh, hey. In Purgatorio, and this is back in the Divine Comedy with Dante's The Inferno, but in Purgatorio, uh, which follows the Inferno, Dante sees the light of the Pisces constellation as he enters Purgatory. It's not really clear why um, man, Adam, in this movie would be carrying the symbol, but Mother's qualities could be read as resembling Beatrice, whom Dante is traveling through the kingdoms of hell, purgatory, and heaven to find. Both are the objects of pious, if not exactly lustful, love. So I prefer the this runic symbol, Windhorn, because it makes more sense with the conservationist theory. But I, I do so. like the idea that it's linked to Purgatorio. Right. Yeah. And I also saw, like, the furnace as, like, the core like if she if this house is like Mother Earth, I was mm. like the furnace is her core, and she's just going to just like blow us up, and, <laughs> and I'm ready. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing, right? Because this ending could be either seen as the, the events of Revelation, the Book of Revelation, or this is climate change. The Earth mm-hmm. said "fuck all y'all" and burned us all up. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. even get to get there. You know, it's just we're all gone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the sequel to the core that Hillary Swank movie we always wanted. Oh, I saw that in theaters. <laughs> It's bad. It's real bad. It's not good. But fun. Uh, Yeah, so that's exactly what she does. She blows this whole fucking house up and everyone in it, everyone goes up except for him, who is completely unscathed. He ends up carrying her charred, nearly dead body upstairs. And as she's dying, he explains, I am I and that she was home. And then, you know, just to do insult to injury, he plunges his hand into her chest Pulls out her heart, crushes it, and reveals an identical crystal. Yay! So Let's do it all again. He Yay. puts it back on the stand, and we start the whole thing over again with a hot new mother. Yay! He says to her, like, you have more to give. And I was just like, like, I love my partner so much. I do. But if this is what was going on, like, there's nothing left. So... That is, that is a line pulled directly from the giving tree that uh, Joe was mentioning earlier. The tree gives and gives and gives. And then the tree says to the boy, I'm sorry, I have nothing else to give. And either the tree or the boy says, oh, you're a stump. You can be my seat. Mm-hmm. And that's what the tree has left to give. It's just a seat. Yeah. But weirdly enough, some people have interpreted that as, oh, okay, that's the last thing that the tree has to give. It's still content to give. Whereas I read it as... That fucking shitty boy who grew up into a fucking <laughs> shitty man just, like, used this tree up until it was nothing nothing left. Like, that sucks. Exploitation. <laughs> People were like, what a nice tree. And just like, the shit kid. Exactly. 
Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, we've obviously talked a lot about the religious allegories, the environmental allegory, there is mm-hmm. the creator muse allegory as well. There's a lot of fun to be had in the readings of this film. I'm going to throw it over to Bandonis one last time just because I like the way she ends her article. She says, The interruption of male control, bracket, over female bodies, natural resources, and marginalized populations, and bracket, yields self-righteous fury. Throughout Mother's suffering, he remains convinced that his work trumps any damage to her body and home. He is entitled to her love and her body. Which, do y'all make any significance of the fact that it is a different mother every time? I feel like that's even ruder, honestly. Mm -hmm. I take it as, well, this is going to be the new shot, right? He can't bring back the old one because we know how it'll play. So the idea that maybe with this one, it'll be different because she's a new mother. But as we see from the events that began the film, this is cyclical and it is doomed to repeat in the exact same way unless somebody fucking changes their behavior. And it needs to be him or it it. needs to be the humans. (laughs) He needs to burn up and have his heart ripped out. And make a new planet through that instead. <laughs> yeah. Or if humans are better. Yeah. They're not gonna be though. We're parasites. It's also <laughs> it's, it's uh it's not gonna get better. He needs to change. That quote is so interesting, like of kind of looking at like him thinking his work is more important than what happens to her. Because right. I think of I read that J Law like hyperventilated and like ended up hurting herself mm-hmm. and they had to like get in paramedics and then Aronofsky was like it was blurry you have to do it again like while she's like being worked on and it's just like huh this kind of stepped a little outside of itself yeah uh, and did a little look that's very interesting and then after the film and obviously these are quotes that could be taken out of context so i don't necessarily want to say that he's a totally shitty dude but he later ended up saying that's why he doesn't like working with method actors because he he basically said oh well she did it to herself because she got too into the scene she needed to be able to just stop when i said cut Mm. like okay dude that's great what's wild is just not having any self-awareness (laughs) <laughs> like he made this entire film saying a very clear thing and he's not like maybe i'm this well and then they fucking break up because he can't get over the fact that this movie didn't do well i didn't know that's the reason they broke up mm-hmm. but I, so that that's new news to me but um yeah just like know. oh okay dude you are him you are the creator and it's also, yeah, like the artist muse situation. It's just like, it gets really meta all of a sudden mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're like li- really diving in. But at the same time, though, I-, I cannot believe that he thought for a second this movie was gonna play well with audiences. <laughs> I mean, when when the F Cinema score came out, he even said like, oh yeah, I, c- I don't see how I'm you can see this movie and not give you give it an F. Like, it's yeah. a- you're supposed to be angry. But I also like, and don't get me wrong, I am very happy that Paramount was like, fuck yeah, we'll give you $30 million to do this, mm-hmm. whatever. I am shocked that they said, yeah, sure, it's fine, release it. Because this is an art house film masquerading as mainstream entertainment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've made jokes on the pod before about how I did a double bill in college of Requiem for a Dream and Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark. But I feel like you could absolutely do Mother and Dogville or mother and dancer in the dark because it's basically just about how humanity is garbage and also art can shine a light (laughs) on it but it will not save us yeah 
but also Lars von Trier is kind of a piece of shit too. So he and Aronofsky yeah. could like hang out. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's the one I should have mentioned in my Woody Allen and mm, whatever because mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. because Lars von Trier really because he goes through his muses right because after like yes. two or three movies sometimes one they're like uh. Nicole Kidman won't work with him again. Bjork won't work with him again. The mm-hmm. only one who keeps coming back is Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is just ready yeah. for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hurt me bad. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, well, everyone, final thoughts on Mother. Come on, Gaming Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? Did you like it? I'd... It's okay, okay. to say no. It's okay. <laughs> I didn't dislike it. It was just like, I think I also felt at the end, I was very tired. I was right. just like, wow. And then also just like learning about the ways in which the director was, I was just like, it's honestly very interesting as a personal reflection of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess I like, I enjoy it for that. Like I enjoy that it did badly for that. But then I'm also like, j-law like really killed it though like she should have gotten positive things out of it so Mm -hmm. that sucks because it's essentially just like the entire plot of the film is the reality now yeah but yeah i didn't hate it i thought it was like (laughs) it was a time okay (laughs) a game certainly was yeah i'm trying to figure out because there there are certainly parts i really i was excited to think about like as things were unfolding i was excited to kind of see these easter eggs or put in my own meeting into things and i think when we got to the chaos at the end it really lost me and i think like after she explodes everything and it it becomes cyclical i was like that's great i kind of enjoyed this little bow of like mm-hmm. that's what humanity is like i kind of want to watch it again like yeah. probably in a few months but i'm like i am dreading that chaos sequence because yes. there's just parts in that where I'm just like i don't know if i ever really need to see that again mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because, like, I hate it (laughs) or because I just don't need it right now Um, or you had it once. I will say that when I was watching it with Kat, like, my last thought was, like, (laughs) can Aronofsky be any more up his own ass at this point? (laughs) Because I was just like, wow. (laughs) Like, as it was descending into chaos, I was like, okay, I think we get Mm -hmm. it. You're artistic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, similar to what Kat said, I can't, I wouldn't say I hate it. Um, there are definitely parts I appreciate and I do think it it deserves another watch. I just might take care of myself in parts where, uh, (laughs) where I know it's not safe. There. Joe, so did this improve on your second viewing since it wasn't disrupted by (laughs) a man on a phone? Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I will say this film definitely it is supported by repeat viewings. I think it goes down easier when you know what to expect and you can kind of pay attention to, I guess, whichever reading you're going to try to subscribe to. It is still messy. I'll give it that. I wonder if it would have been better if he had have just said, yeah, I'm doing a religious allegory. That's what I'm sticking to. Or yes, this is environmental and environmental only. So yeah, she's a bit of a messy bitch at times. But overall, I just think, the shooting style is really exciting. Like it's such an anxiety ridden ride for me Mm -hmm. that I'm fully on board with Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's doing exceptional work. Like Trace said earlier, I have all these questions about how did the film get made with this level of chaos? So in that regard, I find it 
exciting and overwhelming to watch. I do often feel like I need to take a nap afterwards, but um, yeah, aside from Aronofsky's kind of shitty man behavior, I really do like this movie. I like, I really enjoyed the rewatch. Yeah, this went up from a four to a four and a half out of five for me. Um, I do love this movie, but uh, I think it's intentionally messy. I also do like that it's maybe maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally an autobiography mm. <laughs> of Aronofsky. <laughs> I just... Re- okay, I'm going to say enjoy, but that's... Because, Gabe, and I get what you're saying. Like, th- this is a movie that I don't really describe as a movie. This movie is an experience. Yeah. It is an endurance test by design. And so... It is a thing where it's like, I know that's the intent behind it, so I can factor that into my feelings of it. Um, and again, like, this is a movie I saw for the first time five years ago, and I've had five years to stew on it, and then I see it again this week. Exactly. We didn't have to watch it and then try to immediately pivot and say, cool, let's yes. talk about it for two hours. <laughs> but but again, I mean, I, I own this fucking thing now. I bought the 4K because I was like, why not? It was like $15. But am I going to be revisiting this movie a lot? Probably not. Because, yeah, this isn't a movie I'm going to put on to be entertained. I'm not going to have fun doing it. Is it something I might want to show some people and trick them into watching a Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer movie? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is a movie you call up and you you just foist it on your mom. Mom, what do yeah. you think? Oh, trust me. I've I given mean, you like, no warning. I've, I've totally done that with my parents before. But, yeah, it's uh, I love it. It is an endurance test. I won't revisit it often. But when I do, I will probably get more out of it every time. But yeah, um, endurance test might be a good way to put the film for next week, too. But Hmm. (laughs) before we get there, (laughs) Gabe and Kat, first of all, thank you both for coming on to discuss this film. Um, And also thank you for giving it a chance (laughs) for your first time. (laughs) For sure. Yes, thank you for having us and for giving us an excuse to finally, like, take it on. Because it has always been on the to-watch list. (laughs) There you go. And it's a good fit for what you folks are doing on your podcast right now. Yes, it's too, it's too perfect. <laughs> and speaking of, let everyone know, where can they find you and your podcast on social media? Yeah, so we're the Ghouls Next Door, and we are available anywhere you get podcasts. We also do videos, so we dress up for our episodes. Yes. Sometimes it's really silly. You can see me with mushrooms growing out of my face, <laughs> um, <laughs> cat looking infected. Um, and we, you can watch those on YouTube, but we're also a video podcast on Spotify. Nice. Awesome. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. And go to our YouTube channel to look at our Micro Queers coverage, Chunky coverage, and our Horror Queers hangouts, where we talk with different members in the industry and drink. (laughs) (laughs) if you want even more content please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers uh if you go subscribe now we are we are in february so we will have episodes on season one of yellow jackets death on the nile netflix's new entry in the texas chainsaw massacre franchise and uh we'll also have an audio commentary on a nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors Mm -hmm. but uh joe why don't you tease what we're doing next week for 2018 (laughs) well yeah so this was kind of the start of it and we're going to continue ramping it up so next week is going to be a bit of another i don't want to say high octane but it's not going to be slow and moody we're going to keep things (laughs) interesting and weird yep that's a good way to put it and before (laughs) you say anything else uh i'm gonna say we can cross out mother exclamation mark yes (laughs) and cross out horror queers (laughs) 